1: where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous
0: U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. When I describe my path to financial security, I often say that I front-loaded the sacrifice. I did all the hard work in the beginning, in my 20s and 30s. I stowed as much money away as possible and let the power of compounding fuel my early retirement. But what if you're the exact opposite of me, if you're a late starter, if you spent your early years on spending and lifestyle inflation, what do you do then? Do you backload the sacrifice? What do you do if you're late to the wealth building party? Bill Yount is an emergency room physician, financial independence pursuer, and a dear friend. He is the creator of the Financial Literacy Project Facebook group and community. Bill Yount, welcome to Earn and Invest. First and foremost, at what age do you think you're going to retire?
1: Well, that's a moving target uh, for us. Um, It depends on savings rate and lifestyle deflation. Uh, The goal is 62. I think I'm going to retire, quote unquote, on time at 65, it really depends a little bit on, given my career, when I you know, fall across the finish line, it's kind of like running a marathon.
0: I want to get to in a moment how it feels to talk about retiring at a regular age, as opposed to retiring at an early age, which is what a lot of people in our community do. But let's first go back and talk about your money orientation. What was it like in early adulthood?
1: There was no more money orientation. Uh, As you may have heard from other folks on your podcast, I had no education, uh, did not internalize anything financial, um, and uh, lived a life of delayed gratification until uh, the big opportunity to inflate the lifestyle and ended up being paycheck to paycheck as a high-earning physician.
0: Yeah. I think people who are not in the medical field don't realize this, but maybe if you've been trying to make partner at a law firm or an accounting firm or something like that, you understand deferred gratification, right? Because a lot of us had no money. And then all of a sudden we have a lot. Tell me about lifestyle inflation. Do you think it made you happy? Go back to those days. Like, Was it fulfilling you when you were spending more?
1: Absolutely. Um, it created a lot of front end memories. I don't have a significant amount of regrets that we, you know, because we paid for experiences, we paid for memories. We also paid for things. It it, it, uh, it was a classic story of physician lifestyle inflation with li- no financial literacy. And uh, it was a partnership and my wife didn't have any either. So we, we kind of stumbled forward and without having a plan before the big first paycheck, we didn't know how to partition it and um, just thought the world was going to take care of us. It, it, we were unconscious, uh, truly, for a long time. Uh, there was no intentionality. There was no conscious approach to it. And once we got caught up in family, raising kids, dealing with a child with special needs, without the preordained plan, everything you know, pretty much fell apart. But we managed to have uh, really good experiences along the way with our kids and lots of, we were just going over them the other day with my son, lots of great memories. So no regrets there.
0: So what sparked the change? You're going about your life, you're living lifestyle inflation. You are spending, not too conscious about how you're doing it, but spending in order to enjoy life as it is. Why did things have to change?
1: Well, the world wasn't going to take care of us. And, uh, We uh, I woke up at 50. And the funny thing is, my wake up had to do with the white coat investor, much like you learned that you were financially independent. I learned that I was financially woefully uh, dependent and uh, woke up, uh, sadly to say, around age 50.
0: So a lot of people are exposed to the white coat investor. A lot of people are exposed to personal finance in general many people choose to continue ignoring it because it's difficult and scary and painful. Why do you think you were ready for that message? Like, why didn't you just kind of hear it and then move on and ignore it and do what you had been doing for the last bunch of decades?
1: Well, once I learned the language, I mean, the wake-up call was kind of just things were out of control. I didn't, and as a type A physician who likes control, all of a sudden I had the time I ran across a book by William Bernstein, and uh, that was the first book I read. And I said to myself, you know, somebody really needs to do this for physicians. And shortly thereafter, the White Coat Investor book came out. And I'm like, well, it's been done. I just wasn't aware of it.
0: And how did it feel at the time? Were you excited? Were you afraid? Were you remorseful for the past? Like, how did it hit you when you started learning all this financial information? All of the above. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, I was excited to... Learn the language. I was afraid that uh, I couldn't take over my financial life. And I've struggled in an ongoing fashion with the remorse, the guilt, the regret. I think I'm not alone. I think, uh, and it's tough. I really enjoyed being in the financial literacy movement. I enjoyed all the people I met. Uh, And once I had the knowledge and just needed to work the plan, the regrets surrounded the challenge of being in a movement where people had largely been proactive and the messages often the front loaded message, the side hustle message, you know, the, the, the three brothers approach that you talk about. And I felt after waking up that I was the fourth brother kind of in the majority where I was unconscious and ended up having to backload it. And, uh, you get to a point in life too where you start struggling with things like burnout and you didn't reverse engineer your life you didn't think that you know I grew up as a you know boomer uh gen xer right on the cusp and uh, uh sort of by what I call the lost financial generation where just things changed I wasn't aware of the change I wasn't aware that I had to take care of my own retirement and uh it got away from me
0: Bill is talking about this parable of three brothers that I often talk about, which the eldest brother is the kind of traditional fire movement pursuer who front loads the sacrifice and retires early. The middle brother maybe goes more for passive income and side hustles and finds a way towards financial independence relatively quickly that way. Or in my parable, the youngest brother is the passion play. Someone is so passionate about their job that they're willing to continue working they don't get burned out because they love what they're doing and they feel in a sense like they're financially independent right away it's interesting your description really talks about this fourth brother which is someone who has kind of the awakening later on and then can't front load the sacrifice because it's too late so in a sense you're what's called backloading the sacrifice or doing that really hard work towards later on in your career It's an interesting idea. You and I were physicians, so we talk a lot about this idea of burnout at work. But what I'm also hearing you say is there's some personal finance or certainly financial independence burnout. Like we get a lot of excitement when we are building our way, when we're learning all this new, exciting information. But then as you said, when you're working your path, it's easy to start kind of feeling negatively about it. Talk about some of that burnout you felt when you almost felt like, this no longer feels good to be on this personal finance pathway.
1: Well, absolutely. You're exactly right about financial independence burnout. And it can happen after you go down the rabbit hole. And it happened a couple of years after that for me. There was the excitement of getting control of it, uh, increasing your savings rate to, you know, better part of 40%. But what I gave up, And uh, there were many mistakes along the way. I think we made every single one that a physician can possibly make or a high-income earner can make. But you give up time. You give up compounding. We even missed out uh, to a large extent because of fear uh, at the beginning of the long stretch of bull market we had just recently. We missed out on that because we weren't willing to take the risk. That may be the biggest mistake we made was to not double down and learn to save then. If I'd have woken up at 40, 45, uh, life would be a lot different uh, than it is now. And then we're seeing, to be honest and shamefully so, this is the first bear market that I've been conscious for. And it's painful at age 57. It's painful to see it, you know, because yes, it's great to buy shares on, on, on the cheap, but, um, you know, I don't have the time in many ways for it to make a huge difference, uh, like folks that have you know, had a 20, 30 year run on their time and compounding. Uh, and if my message to anybody out there about backloading the sacrifice is, it's painful. And uh, in many ways it's painful. And my message to people is, try not to be the fourth brother, try and wake up earlier uh, so that you have the time to let money work for you, as opposed to at a time when you wanna downshift in your career, Uh, having to maintain some of the same, you know, when you don't have the energy. I don't have the energy at 57. I don't have that youthful energy to work hard, you know, put the money away. And when you talk about burnout in the financial independence community, I've absolutely experienced that because you end up surrounded by people that largely got it right after the initial surge a second set of shame comes into mind because you're, you're you're surrounded yourself by people that got it right, and you didn't. And um, there are a few people out there that talk about backloading and sacrifice, but in our community, that's a message largely untalked about.
0: Yeah, you know, it makes me wonder if this ageism is just a part of this community. Financial dependence for sure, but personal finance in general. I mean, is anyone really out there talking to their people in their 50s and 60s or is most of the content really created for people who are much younger?
1: I agree with that. There's really to my knowledge no talk about what I would call the 80% of people that just didn't get it right, because um, that's the consumeristic lifestyle inflation approach that we're that's promoted in the United States. There is, there is no siren cry of, you know, wake up, wake up earlier. The sooner you wake up, the more possible. I hope that our conversation today reaches people outside of the traditional community that need this message. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, don't make the mistakes I made. And, uh, but you know, like for my kids, I'm trying to get them on the path. We didn't model correctly. We just did not model. And we struggle with that with our kids, um, getting them engaged in it, uh, because it's not what you tell them. And I, I became what is known as lecture daddy. I kept telling (laughs) them, you know, this is what we got to do. This is what you need to do. But it was in some ways a little too late because we didn't model the save. First, pay yourself first, invest and uh, you know spend the rest and save half your income, live on one income um, in a dual income family, uh, which we are. And that's part of our salvation is that my wife and I work full time now still.
0: Is there a bias towards also instantaneous success in this community because I feel like we're always celebrating the person who turns it around immediately or who builds the side hustle over 2 years or retires by the age of 29 talk about this culture of instantaneous success and and maybe how it didn't necessarily jibe with what you were seeing out in the world
1: Well I mean there are physicians that have accelerated their path to financial independence using things like real estate and small business which is almost what you have to do because doing going the paper asset route is more of a 20 30 year route with my scarcity fear mentality after living this life it's been hard to accelerate it's been hard to push through it and uh, you know we are using real estate now and it is helping but again you know, ten years difference and waking up in your forties. Like you would hope that physicians would do, or high-income earners would do. You can get away with mistakes, you know, in your thir- even in your thirties and early forties. But if you wake up in the early forties, you can retire in ten or fifteen years if you deflate uh, your lifestyle and inflate your savings. You absolutely can. One of the things I've learned um, in the high-income earner domain, especially when you're a physician and you lose out on your 20s for savings, is you should work 20 for the money. And uh, the rest of it is for joy, downshift or retire. But uh, if you follow Mr. Money Mustache's article on uh, savings rates and retirement, some people really front load the sacrifice and really suffer deprivation in their 20s and 30s because they do it in 10 years. They do it too fast. And you see a lot of regret and remorse with that. I think the balance to avoid burnout is to kind of plan on a 15, 20-year career, not the boomer 30 or 40-year career.
0: I like that, right? Because there is a danger to front-loading over aggressively, and then there's also a danger to back-loading. And it's like that middle sweet spot you're talking about. I'm reminded of Kirsten and Julian in Cashing Out. They talk about the 15-year corporate career. And I think that mirrors a lot of what you're saying, too, this idea of working those 20 appropriately uh, so you don't overdo it in the beginning and yet you protect yourself on the backside.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the way you achieve success and the balance of uh, enjoying life in the present as my wife is the present. In our relationship, she's the present and I'm sort of the remorseful past and uh, the future. Uh, So we're a good pair now. And she gets it. She's come along with me uh, on this journey, which is important. Um, We've heard a lot about engaging the spouse because it's hard to not do it together. And she's come with me on, uh, you know, Camp Fize and uh, uh, two other conferences, even FinCon. She gets it, but she still holds me in the present and uh, tries to get me to not regret the past and be weighed down by it.
0: Tell me how your orientation to the personal finance community has changed as you've experienced some of this burnout having to do with money. Do you still feel like a part of it? Is there a place in the community for people like you?
1: The relationships I've created have really broadened my life, and that's the best part of it. But I do wonder about my place in it because I'm old. Uh, you consider yourself old in the movement and, and you're in your late 40s. I'm 10 years older. The only person I know in the community, really, that uh, backloaded and retired in the early 60s was Becky Heptig, uh, you know, first started at 50. And she's out there. She's the only one I know that's, you know, helping my part or our part of the community.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, just this in the sense of, how genera- how generationally this breaks out. But yes, you do less see less people who are that kind of late generation X, early boomer generation, aren't as vocal in this community and maybe not as present. And the ones who are, the ones who typically did very well at the beginning of their career, so are part of this community at, from a very successful place already.
1: Well, I mean... I watched my dad work till 80. You know, I mean, that was that generation. Um, And so that was my model. And I have no reason to believe on the front end that I wouldn't work 40 years or want to work 40 years in my chosen career. That was kind of the model back then. In in today's uh, generations, no, that's not the model at all. Uh, They're very nimble. They they move around and uh, are, are very good at in our community increasing their income, working multiple streams of income. You talk about the four legged stool. I mean, I've had a one legged stool or two legs. If uh, you talk about my wife's income, uh, we've developed the real estate leg. We don't have the small business leg, but it is what it is. We're doing the best we can with our, our faculties, and uh, uh, I wish I had the. Energy and the uh, interest in creating another job and actively managing real estate chosen for us uh, because of a lack of interest in actively managing houses to invest in syndications, which I think you've talked about in your mm-hmm. uh, podcast in the past. And that's our that's our way into the real estate domain. It's worked well for us.
0: So tell me, is there any benefit to this backloading principle? I mean. Is there experience or knowledge accrued that maybe makes it better or easier than those people who are kind of front-loading it, grinding it out at the beginning of their career? Is, is there any positive side?
1: Well, you've paid for a bunch of experiences if you just haven't bought things, but we did that. We had the big house. We even had, you know, we, we succumbed to re- rebuilding our house in Chicago at the, at the time of the great financial crisis. So we were upside down. Uh, in, in a large mortgage where we were everything was going towards the mortgage and not you know not much to savings we were single digit savers as physicians as I call it and that's just not a place you want to be uh, you know these days as we know if you start in your 20s you need to be 15 20 savers if you want to have a chance at uh, you know avoiding burnout in your late 40s, early 50s and retiring at that time,
0: does anything get easier with age when it comes to finances? I'm feeling almost a negative picture here. Tell me something optimistic. I'm
1: tra- I'm, well, I'm trying to be positive about it because, yes, it's possible. I have to say it's possible. Uh, and, and we're in good shape. We would be, you know, at this point in time, lean fire because of the market conditions. Um, and, uh, but the challenge is matching your lifestyle and de- deflating it. Deflating lifestyle is one of the hardest things you'll ever do we downsized our house we had payoff cars uh we've traveled less we've you know but we we still have that 50 50 lifestyle we haven't gone to the deprivation lifestyle it's not possible for us i just don't think i mean i guess anything's possible but it's just not something that's comfortable for us and what's amazing is i've downshifted my work to avoid burnout and uh we live on a lot less and we have noticed no difference or very little difference in our lifestyle. It's amazing. And why didn't we do that on the front end? It it just, money just frittered away. It was amazing. We didn't, everything went into the checking account. It didn't get set aside in sinking funds. It didn't get set aside. We paid for retirement last. It was one check at the end of the year. It wasn't dollar cost averaging. We didn't know what the heck we were doing.
0: It's amazing how much things change once you become conscious or conscientious about how you're spending, to realize that your lifestyle has not worsened and yet you're spending a lot less is really eye opening. Yeah,
1: I mean, that part is optimistic and it's possible. It's amazing. I didn't think that would be the case. I really didn't. Uh we're happy. It's hard doing in in my field, the nights, the weekends, the holidays. Uh, As an empty nester now, kids uh, largely out of college, one to finish, one just finished. College is paid for. House is paid for. Uh, We've done a lot of right things. You know, I'm certainly happy about how much progress we've made. And for those out there that want to take their head out of the sand, do it, do it now. uh, Like we've talked about before. You can't regret not planting the trees back in your 20s and 30s. Just, you know, best time to start is now. I have to say it's possible. We will get there. It's just not exactly when we would have wanted to because we don't have the crossover point. You know, if I had been able to do it at 55, 57, um, it would be happy, much happier. The problem for me is having defined myself as a physician and not having developed, like you have, the passion projects, I fear retirement because the structure of having a job kind of keeps me going. And the biggest problem I have now, having backed off clinically a little bit is, and having more free time is, how do you make that transition to retirement? That's the hardest thing. We, we don't talk about the drawdown. We don't talk about the emotional side of retirement. It ends up being largely a number often. And uh, the biggest challenges I think people have is the depression after retiring. I've seen physicians become alcoholics after they retire without a plan for how they spend their time.
0: We are talking to Bill Yount, and we are talking about backloading the sacrifice. What happens when you come to the personal finance or financial independence community later in life? You realize that lifestyle inflation has taken its toll, and now you have to make up for it. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. that's dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you that my book, Taking Stock, is still on sale on Amazon. Go to earnandinvest.com slash book. If you have bought the book, do me a favor, go to Amazon and leave a rating, even if you just leave a five-star rating. Of course, I'd love to see your comments, but if you don't feel comfortable doing comments, even just the five-star rating helps. I've got about 130, a little bit more ratings there at this point. But the more, the better. I am trying to get this message out to as many people as possible. So if you enjoyed the book, please go rate it on Amazon. Please also tell friends and family if this is a book you think that could help them. Let them know. Shoot them the Amazon link. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash book. I would love to share this message with as many people as possible, and you all are my best advocates. Hope you're enjoying this conversation with Bill Yount. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Bill Yount. He is an emergency room physician, financial independence pursuer, and creator of the Financial Literacy Project Facebook group and community. Bill, we've been talking about this idea of backloading the sacrifice. How big of a population of people do you think it is who's kind of like you, who got into the game a little bit later and now is struggling to catch up?
1: Uh, I think it's, I don't. couldn't put numbers on it. I haven't really looked, but I think it's the largest part of the financial population in the United States. You know, we, we live in a niche in the financial literacy arena and the FIRE movement. It, it, it's It's small. It's growing, it's become popularized. We see it in the mainstream media. It's been growing a lot since the early nineties. And uh, I'm proud of that. Uh, I I think it's a message that's getting out there to the community at large. Um, I hear about it a lot more outside of our community uh, and I'm happy about that. And I'm I'm here to try and address the population that needs to pull their heads out of the sand and. join the FIRE movement. I mean, I don't know what the acronym is, but it's really, I, I would call it GENFI, like mm-hmm. generational FI or geriatric FI. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it does exist. Maybe there is an acronym for it. And it's a population that needs to be heard and needs to be addressed. And and I hope that um, the people that got it right can help address the issues that a lot lot of our country face with lifestyle inflation and uh, delayed attention to this.
0: One thing that happens when you do recognize that you need to be more conscientious about your finances, especially at an older age, right, not in your 20s and 30s, but we're talking about now 40s, 50s and 60s, is you talked about feeling a sense of shame and regret Talk about how that colors the journey of people who are in your situation.
1: Hmm. It's hard to get out of it, I would say. Just accept, acceptance of um, the lack of a conscious approach to your finances. The awakening, like we talked about before, is both exciting and discouraging, I would say. But I'm very proud of what we've done. I think it's possible for anybody to do what we've done. It's finance is simple. I was very intimidated by the language, and it's a language that uh, is relatively easy to learn. After just reading a few basic books, listening to a few blogs like or and podcasts like yours, you can get started very easily. And once you've owned your finances, just a matter of working the plan, which we are I'm proud of that.
0: I want to push you on that further. You said anyone can do this, but is there ever such thing as too late? I mean, can you truly be too late to the game?
1: People say no, but I think yes. Because what happens is if you really don't wake up like we did, then you become dependent on Social Security. You know, there's a retirement crisis in our country. You know, people have saved so little. And when you have an active income, your lifestyle is going to be better than when you stop and don't have any kind of a drawdown ability. Uh, And then you're going to suffer a great lifestyle imposition and deflation. And that scares the hell out of me.
0: Do you think it's possible that in our exuberance to talk about financial independence and personal finance that maybe we're doing some people harm? maybe this this message we're putting out doesn't fit everybody and, and needs a change?
1: Hmm. It's easy to say yes, but I think no. It's a message that's good at any time because if it doesn't hit the adults, at least hopefully they can write the ship for their kids. It's really important. And that's that's where the movement really makes a big difference generationally is let's let the information trickle down to... You know, and it's even, it's so much more harder to become financially independent now with inflation and the cost of living. Um, I'm, I fear for my son. You know, he's starting out there in his first job earning under $50,000 a year. That's functionally too little. He's going to be going back to school and be hopefully be able to escalate his income. But for now, it just, I, I fear, you know, him living at poverty level.
0: Are the choices for him going to be easier than the choices were for you, just based on the fact that he gets to start earlier?
1: Yes, yes. And the the good thing for my one son is that uh, he doesn't need much. I don't think he'll lifestyle inflate. My other son is a spendthrift. It's interesting how we have twins, and both of them got different messages with regards to needs uh, versus wants. I have one child that's very focused on wants, and I fear for him. Because uh, he's suffering from our modeling and uh, he has high requirements of uh, uh, income for his wants. Uh, And I'm still trying aggressively to model correctly and get him to read the finance books. You know, there's, there's three books that I want my kids to read. And the first one is First Save 10 by Sarah Catherine Gutierrez. Just basic cash flow management. The second one is Simple Path to Wealth, to learn the language of index fund investing. And the third one is Set for Life by Scott Trench, where that one really tells the young population how to get to their first twenty-five thousand, their first hundred thousand, and use real estate to leverage uh, an, an aggressive savings rate. Um, and those are the three that I want my kids to read. I've had a hard time getting them through them. And because they're not naturally inclined to digest this and it's not their passion. I can't impose my passion on them. It's it's frustrating.
0: All excellent books. You said something interesting there. You said he's suffering from my modeling. I assume you're talking about the modeling before you became conscientious, but hopefully also learning from your current modeling, right? Oh, they have.
1: They have. They're aware of the importance, at least I can say, um, when I wasn't. Uh, they've seen us right the ship. They've seen they've seen what we've done, and uh, I'm hoping hoping for an awakening in their 20s. And uh, I think it will be there. They haven't really engaged in their first jobs. I think I've got my one son focused on how to partition his paycheck and uh, you know save first. So I'm pleased with that. There's a lot of good books out there with regards to how to help avoid your young kids uh, going down this path. Silver Spoon Kids is one of them, I I recall. It's never too early to start with your kids.
0: So looking back at your trajectory, learning about personal finance for you almost was like opening up Pandora's box. You ever even just for a moment wish that you never did?
1: No, absolutely not. It's been a joy to take control of my financial life. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And people need to learn to be DIYers because it's not hard. You know, in our arena, a lot of positions, you know, hire high-cost financial advisors, get involved in active funds. And, you know, when you spend on expense ratios and 1% of your AUM to financial advisors, that compounds negatively against you and makes a huge difference.
0: It certainly can make a huge difference in your wealth. So let's talk about other people in your situation. I think there are a lot of people right now are facing exactly what you have. You've been real thoughtful on this topic. Tell me what are the first few things you think people who are in the midst of backloading can do to make it emotionally as well as financially reasonable? Accept your past. uh,
1: Aggressively educate yourself. Start the, the plan and then just be comfortable working the plan as as long as you have to to reach financial independence and aggressively work both ends of the equation you know deflate your lifestyle inflate your income inflate your savings rate you know those are the key factors
0: which part of that is hardest
1: deflating yeah i mean downsizing is painful physically i mean hell you got to get rid of a bunch of stuff you got to, you know, decrease the size of your box. And we went from a 4,500 square foot home to a, a 2,500 square foot home. It was physically very trying, very rewarding though. I mean, I would suggest people, you know, physicians sh- should probably not buy a house over, you know, two times their income, or I would have bought a 500,000 or $600,000 house, n- never done it. You know, a, a 3-2 is a great way to go. Uh, and then, you know, you can you can house hack as a position too. Uh, if you buy a house that is amenable to that, and there's no shame in that. Um, that's the way kids these days that will achieve housing in this expensive market is to house hack. That may be the only way.
0: Has it been a blessing or a curse to be a high income earner in this process? I mean, many people would say, As a higher income earner, you have an easier time catching up. But also, being in the socioeconomic status, for instance, of a doctor requires certain amounts of expenditure of money. There's a lot of keeping up with the Dr. Joneses. Have you found it harder or easier as a physician?
1: Harder. The high income does make it harder. But as far as the backloading, it makes it easier. Definitely makes it easier.
0: Let me interpret that harder emotionally, harder to deflate, harder to not spend like some of your peers are, but once you get your finances starting to work for you, then easier because you have a higher income is that is that what I'm reading? yeah, absolutely. I mean, it allows you to
1: have a much higher savings rate. you know we put away now, as I said, forty fifty percent, and we're in the two hundred plus thousand dollars a year putting it away, and we're living on half of our income, and when you do that, if you do it for say, 10 12 years you've achieved uh, what you want to do the hardest thing to do for us to do now is match our lifestyle to our nest egg because we can't deflate to less than 50% of our lifestyle it just it just as becomes uncomfortable we're used to the travel uh, we live in still a nice neighborhood we ha- our, our kids went to private schools can't take it back but uh, we are doing a great job uh, and awakening, I would never I would never not wish that. Uh, it, it's It's one of the biggest accomplishments of my life was awakening financially. And one of the hard things for me was that i I was not mentally healthy uh, as well to uh, come to this assertion or come to this realization because Not only did I struggle with mindset, uh, I struggled with mental health set. And um, there was many awakenings for me.
0: It reminds me of the fact that there are many people in this position that you're talking about where the necessity to backload is the only option. For people like that, where's the best place for them to go and learn more about this are there content producers are there blogs podcasts books that are really for this set for this group of people
1: well for physicians it was the white coat investor hands down he's a savant he's helped physicians immensely or any high Im- high income professional get the best out of Wall Street uh, maximize their finances and whenever I have a a question a specific question I'll go to his website because his his And it's good for anybody. I know friends of mine who are not in the physician arena that listen to his podcast and uh, go to his blog for answers. So, and 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 there's certainly others, but it's more for the mindset side of things. Uh, If you want numbers, I would go there. Listening to your podcast gives you sort of more the mindset and the lifestyle and the nuances of personal finance. I mean, hell. Your book is probably the fourth book I would read after the other three, because and maybe the first one to read, because reverse engineering your life and thinking about a personal legacy, financial legacy, uh, and where you want to be on your deathbed is a great way to, uh, to motivate you to be very intentional. You know, my purpose was to be a physician and redefining my purpose going into retirement is a bigger challenge than the money and uh, identity. I was genetically entwined with uh, being a physician. You spend so long achieving mastery of that profession that uh, it's hard to unwind that. I think you had a hard time unwinding it, and it led to depression for you that you worked through, if I'm not mistaken, in in redefining your life outside of medicine. Um, I don't necessarily have that choice. I didn't create that choice. It's okay. It's a struggle uh, to go to work at times, but I do good things for people. So uh, it is rewarding still.
0: So what does the future look like for Bill Yount, both financially and lifestyle wise? How do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years?
1: I'll be retired uh, by 65, hopefully at 62. And uh, my wife may work longer. She's in a profession of psychiatry where there's got a lot more longevity. Uh, emergency medicine is a very physical, emotionally and physically demanding field. It's more like a professional sport where you have to be fit to do it. So I look forward to the day where I'm not doing it. I look forward to volunteering, potentially creating a nonprofit. Uh, we're very passionate about Things like our dogs that are therapy dogs and we take them to children's hospital to give back. It's really nice to be on the other side of the equation where you're not responsible for people's health. You're just responsible for bringing them smiles.
0: Well, Bill Yount, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. Sometimes we talk in personal finance and certainly in financial independence as if we all have one narrative. Maybe we even talk about three different narratives Three brothers, front-loading the sacrifice, passive income, or maybe the passion play. But as we've talked with Bill about today, there's also such thing as back-loading the sacrifice. Not everyone comes to these good financial decisions at the beginning of their lives or at the beginning of their careers. Some people it takes into the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or even 70s. Bill, I wanted to thank you for being on today because you certainly give us hope that it is manageable and doable, but also warn us that it is emotional. It can be difficult at times, especially deflating your lifestyle, but clearly it is well worth it. I want to end this episode, Bill, the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? So first and foremost, what's happening with Bill Young?
1: Well, we're working the plan, and uh, I'm working on figuring out what's next or what's up next for Billion with regards to post-retirement. That's the, that's the major project. Uh, getting back to things that I did earlier in life. Um, and like you, I may develop a podcast because there is a message there. I used to be a DJ, and uh, there, there is some aptitude there. Uh, I'm not really a blogger. I enjoy the Financial Literacy Project Facebook group because it's a forum in which you can share information, share ideas, get, quest- get questions answered. There's actually a lot of really smart people on there that uh, are there to answer your questions. I created it because my family got tired of hearing about finance, and I needed a place <laughs> to dump to dump all the information. Um, so that's really what's up next. I'm enjoying my family. I'm enjoying empty nest. It's a great time of life do hope that people reach out to me. I'm happy to help individually. Um, you can reach out to me through the Facebook group. Uh, I've talked to physicians that are in much worse circumstances than myself and uh, just need a uh, shoulder to lean on and uh, to help them motivate to start. So I'm, I'm more than happy to help anybody that feels that they're in this situation and just needs to know where to start.
0: And what is the best way to find you?
1: probably through the Financial Literacy Project on Facebook. Um, You can message me, DM me there. That's the easiest way.
0: This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I would like to thank Bill Yount. That's a wrap. Awesome. As you know, I'm going to keep things running for a little while just to kind of get our after show. How did that feel?
1: It's hard. I've wanted to do it for a while. I really appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to get this message out there. It's been honestly therapeutic for me. Uh, It's been a long time coming. Uh, It helps process the regret um, and move forward. But honestly, these conversations work both ways.
0: It's interesting because your story is both triumphant, but also there's a little sadness tinged in there, right? Like it's triumphant for all that you've learned and all you've done. And even this idea that you will forge retirement one now that you have the luxury or maybe the fear of having to figure out what to do with, but also some sadness tinged in with the fact that it could have been faster or easier or maybe happened earlier.
1: Yeah, I'm a smart guy and it feels like I wasn't so smart. And, uh, in the financial literacy movement, there's a lot of smart people, um, both motivating and discouraging, uh, at the same time as, as we talked about. Um, and you just got to focus on the motivation, focus on the positive, focus on moving forward. Uh, and I'm, I'm just happy that, uh, we're doing it. It's, it, it's, it's a real joy. I've been, I'm very proud of myself. I feel very facile in the language. Uh, and it's, it's a language is important to speak. And I enjoy mostly in this movement, the relationships. I enjoy going to the conferences. I enjoy hanging out with people like you and, uh, all the others, uh, made a lot of great friends. I encourage people to get involved, to meet the people, a lot of bright minds out there.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's a double edged sword, even, you know, at the beginning of this, when I was in my whatever early 40s, when I first discovered all this, you do find yourself being jealous of all the people ahead of you. And I think a 35 year old would tell you the same thing. You see people creating amazing businesses or having amazing passive income or retiring at a super early age. And I think it affects us all. I think it gets harder as you get older, because, again, you start feeling this idea of, oh, I'm I'm so behind.
1: Well, I mean, people feel late. At any stage of the game, I've seen people feel late at 35, late at 40, late at 45. And the the path you go through with that, the emotions you go
0: through with that are the same. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot to carry, I think, for people, especially when they're just getting into it.
1: I would agree. Um, And, uh, you know, it's a work in progress.
0: I've always been impressed by you.
1: Wow, that's nice of you to say. Um uh I'm proud of myself and I just want others to be proud of themselves too for uh taking charge of their life, being intentional, being conscious. I mean, it's not just conscious in finance, it's conscious in everything. Uh it really expands to all aspects of your life. I lived a, you know, a very unconscious, uh you know, over functioning, manic defensive life.
0: Uh and it's important to slow down. Yeah. It really is. The good news is I think by the time you hit retirement, you will have a much better sense of purpose and identity because I think this process for you, even in feeling like you came late to the finances, even with some of the mental health issues, I think really has opened up this idea in you of, of exploring yourself and who you are and what works and doesn't work for you. So my suspicion is all of this hard work you've been doing over the few years is going to make it easier when you get there. So your average person retires to 65 or 70 and does feel incredibly lost. And my suspicion is that you won't.
1: No, I won't be. Um, I won't be at all. I mean, there's for me, the financial literacy movement has been financial therapy mm-hmm. and uh, that's worked in conjunction with uh, personal mental health therapy. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's important to do both. Uh, and there are actually financial therapists out there that help married couples Get on the same page. Uh you need to ask for help, you need a coach. You cannot do it alone.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like how you paired that. There's you're you know, there's we think of mental health therapy, but a lot of this is financial therapy and they really do go hand in hand.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: you care about your money. Of course you do.